You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. Hello, it's Ruv English and I'm Darren Adam. Thank you again for your company. and Thank you to Lydia Athanasopoulou, music journalist, joining me in Siglafjörður to go through an episode that I've certainly been looking forward to even more than the others, Lydia. And that is the experimental music genre, if you can call it such, in Iceland. Um, artists and composers who've been working to really push the boundaries as they did in Iceland, as they did in many other countries as well. And we really are going to hear those boundaries being pushed in a variety of different directions here, aren't we? Absolutely, absolutely. I am also very excited about this episode. It kind of brings us almost full circle to the first episode, uh, where we listened to electronic music, and mm. there was a, a slight reference to Stockhausen. Um, and so, yeah, th- today we explore that section a little further. And I think at the time, I had probably in the interest of shorthand as much as anything else, casually described Magnus Blundell Johansson as Iceland's Stockhausen, because he's probably the foremost exponent in Iceland of what you would call sort of pure experimentalism. You've got modernist composers, of course, like Jon Leifs that we've talked about, but Magnus Blondahl uh, Johansson was working in the electronic realm, wasn't he? Very, very true. He was definitely at the forefront uh, of Icelandic avant-garde in the 50s and 60s. And he was he was indeed experimenting and 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 a bit like in the previous episode, uh, one of the previous episodes where, where we mentioned how indie uh, may sometimes lose its true meaning. Experimental also over the decades has lost its meaning, I think. Um, a lot of things claim to be experimental just by mixing different elements and dubbing it experimental. But but back in the day, so from the 20s, whether we're looking at Soviet music uh, or Italian uh, electroacoustic music, to the 40s and 50s, uh, whether we're looking at Pierre Schaefer, or then the 50s and 60s, whether we're looking at New York and the sort of Dadaist scene and the Fluxus mm. movement, um, they were truly experimenting with, with the real meaning of the word. They were trying totally new things and they had a new way of thinking and composing. And and broadly speaking, experimental composition, at least, uh, is, is exploring sensibilities that are radically not only different to the to the mainstream or the institutionalized way of of writing and thinking about music um it's also radically opposed to it and and that's what i usually find more exciting is that uh sometimes it can be difficult to listen to but just the idea that someone said well this is how you normally do it i'm going to turn that on its head turn it inside out and reverse it <laughs> sometimes literally with actual mm. pieces of tape like yes. like Delia Derbyshire did you know, yeah. I find this very exciting to see uh, what you can do because um, however much you try, you probably can't play a trumpet backwards, so as to speak. And and uh, these modes of, of composing also gave uh, musicians and composers and artists yeah. a way of, of rethinking about what music is. So if we're looking at musique concrète, which is basically composing with found sounds or, yes. or sounds created on unconventional um objects uh, then you know this this definitely opens up a, a new world of sound and music and and listening yeah well i mean just in my own sort of experience working in radio for most of my life i'm definitely old enough to have edited a, a lot using reel to reel tapes and before computer I, I sort of explained this now to younger producers who think i'm completely mad <laughs> that the equivalent of control z the undo function what we used to have to do was 
have the piece of tape that we'd cut out of the recording, hang it round our neck. <laughs> and if the edit didn't work, then we'd put the tape back and we'd stick it all back together again. This is so fascinating to me, being from a younger generation. I mean, of course, right. I grew up with, with tapes and analog media, but yes. th this is fascinating. And I think this is one of the reasons why um, if you if you're sort of following this th this sound, uh, you notice that there has been a resurgence in the last decade or so, especially with things like Dealey Derbyshire becoming popularized and, and people rediscovering these old methods of making experimental music because the younger generations were spoiled, really. We just press a button and, and it's yeah. all done for us. Um, but but back then, like you said, working with analog media was so different. And uh, for them, it truly was some, a new a new frontier uh, it was it was a new way of of even thinking about you know time and space and and yes. uh, object objects and sounds well, i'm i you know without wishing to state that i'm really 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 old because i i'm certainly of a, a a generation where if you wanted to get a sound out of an, an electronic synthesizer you know they were available in shops you could buy them for maybe a hundred pounds you could press a button you get a noise out of it straight away you go back to the 50s and if you wanted to create an electronic tone, you literally had to create it from scratch. I mean, these guys were working with oscillators, weren't they, to create mm -hmm. the pure mm -hmm. sine waves, which they mm -hmm. would then distort and twist and, and, and manipulate using tape. So we talk about it being um, an electronic form of music, but it's it's only just electric. It's more electric than electronic, isn't it? Exactly, exactly, because there's still analog media involved and, and analog equipment. And yeah. uh, like you said, they 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 were not only just creating and and playing with this sine wave. They for for the first time they managed to visualize what a, to have a visual of what a sine wave looks like, and then all the various patterns it makes when you're experimenting with it, which is uh, so much closer to to the real elements of, mm. of what what the composition has in it, as opposed to a computer where you may have an interface, but um, unless you dig deeper and you're maybe a sound engineer, you're not gonna even think about it. And so it was an extremely exciting time. And, and uh, I think this is one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to this type of music. Yes. Like for example, Magnus Blondel Johansson. Yes, I think this is going to be quite a lengthy show because we've got a lot of artists and composers and creators to cover but also the pieces of music tend to be a bit longer as well now on the very first show that we did i remember playing just the briefest clip from magnus blundell johansson so this feels like unfinished business for <laughs> yes. me given what we've um, said about him what are we going to hear so we are going to listen to something from his 1950 uh, record, Fjörer Abstraktionir, for abstractions, which was written for piano. And it was the first Icelandic composition to use a 12-tone uh, synthesis. So very loosely, 12-tone uh, composition became more popular after F World War I. And it basically encompasses all 12 notes of the chromatic scale, uh, and they're all used in systematic ways. So, so composing is perhaps not intuitional or, or based on emotion or, or imagination and creativity. There's there's a lot of structure, and there are all all these various systems of uh, composing for yes. twelve note composition. So here's and, and, and because and, and without getting into the weeds of the theory, as I understand it, because you are using all twelve tones in sequence without repeating them, there isn't a center, there isn't a key. There isn't, so that's why we call it atonal, I suppose. This music is not anchored to a particular key or tone. Of course, there are variations, and this thing evolved. 
But yeah. uh, as far as I understand, the original idea was also that uh, basically equal time or importance was given to all 12 notes, which is definitely yes. not something you find in other genres, which which are focused on uh, specific elements that they want to highlight. Um, so this this release from 1950 was the first Icelandic 12-tone composition. And uh, Magnus Blondel was in general a pioneer of electronic music. He was composing his uh, Elektronisk Studia for a, woodwind, for a woodwind quintet, piano and tape in 1958. So one of the instruments was a tape. This is obviously quite unconventional. In 1971, uh, he stopped composing completely for almost a decade. Uh, but in 1980, he had a comeback with a release titled Adagio. And uh, like a lot of the work that followed that, it, it did move away from his earlier experimental style. And it was a bit more simple, a sort of neo-romantic lyricism. And I think lyricism is often what is mm. missing from 12-tone or atonal music, like you mentioned. He Overall, he produced nearly 100 works, uh, songs, film scores, music for theatre productions, orchestral and chamber music. And uh, we're going to listen to something from those early works uh, to Fjörar Abstraktstjörnir from Electronic Study 1959. Magnus Blundahl Johansson, Führer Abstract Junior, really at the, the very cutting edge in incredibly the 1950s in Iceland, which, you know, was, was only, what, seven years old as a country itself by the time the 1950s started. So it's new music in a brand new country. And you can really hear that sense of, of novelty. I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. You can hear how new and fresh and groundbreaking that really is. Let's move to... Let's take a trip to Hotel Thingvetlir uh, with Laurus H. Grimson, another very important name in those early groundbreaking experimental days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Laurus Grimson. I came across 
his record Portrait uh, by Accident, and I was totally blown away. Um, so Laudus is a composer, conductor, keyboard and harpsichord player, a flutist and a teacher. Uh, he started playing music at the age of 10, so quite young. He was playing the flute. And later on, he went to the Netherlands, where he studied electronic music and composition at the Institute for Sonology in Utrecht. And the Institute for Sonology is a a globally known place for people who are interested in this music. But it seems that uh, there must there was a connection with Iceland because a number of compos composers from that time ended up uh, studying there. And during his uh, student years in the Netherlands, he uh, Laudus composed a number of electronic compositions, uh, chamber music, uh, solo pieces, and many of these works were commissioned for the funds for the Creative uh, Musical Arts and the Amsterdam Fund for Art. And uh, he was also a producer for theatre music. He's composed for almost 30 plays, numerous radio dramas and TV shows, ballets, films and a children's opera. <laughs> and he has also uh, composed wind pieces for school brass bands. He's arranged folk songs uh, to be used in music lessons uh, for small and large ensembles. He taught wind instruments for decades and he also conducted the Reykjavik Brass Band since 1993. So this song is Hotel Thinkvetlir from his uh, aforementioned album Portrait. If anyone has a copy of that lying around, I will gladly take it off your hands. Uh, <laughs> um, and he's also part of a compilation album uh, that's a split release with Thorstein Hoekson, uh, which is called Islensk Raftonlist, so electronic music from Iceland from 1985. Um, so those two uh, records definitely showcase his, his experimentalism pretty well. Okay, we'll hear from Laura's H. Grimson and then we can talk about Thorstein Hoekson uh, in just a moment here on Roof English.
Hotel Thingvetlier by Laurus H. Grimson. Um, so very much nailing <laughs> a sense of Icelandicness, at least into the title of that particular piece, I think it's fair to say. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so the record portrait that I mentioned earlier, um, this is one of the things I love about the internet. You can just dig deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, so it was released by Islensk Tonverka Midstov, which is the Icelandic Music Information Center. Yes. And they did a series of records titled Portrait for various artists uh, in the uh, either experimental or perhaps unconventional, let's say, uh, classical or modernist classical uh, scene. Um, and they all have similar album covers with modern paintings adorning the cover, which is something you might expect from angular, ear-tingling music. And uh, some of the other composers who I found really interesting from this series were Atli Heimir Sveinsson, Leifur Thorarinsson and Thorketl Sigurbjörnsson. And they also host an annual New Music Festival Dark Music Days, um, which, which is quite a title, but the timing is in early February every year, which explains uh, the name of the festival since, you know, yes. daylight is very short. Uh, it's an increasingly popular event and it's hosted by the Iceland Composer Society in collaboration with uh, some of the best performers in the country from these uh, genres. And uh, we have two pieces that we can listen to from two artists who had one of these uh, portrait uh, series, uh, Thorstein Hauksson. Um, we're not going to listen to his portrait album. We're going to listen to something that he composed, which I think really beautifully bridges the gap between experimental uh, music and traditional classical uh, music. We're going to listen to something called Psychomachia Cristo. Uh, it's from the album Cello with uh, Brindis Hatla Gilfadotir on cello, Marta Gudrun Haltorstotir uh, soprano, and Snorri Sigfus Birkison on piano. It's a deeply moving record and it has medieval classical elements mixed with uh, modernist music.
That was Psychomachia Christo from Thorstein Hoeksen. On today's show from Roof English, we are deep into experimentation, experimental music made in Iceland. And I think we're getting a sense already that Iceland has every bit as proud a tradition when it comes to experimental music, as does Germany or the UK or France. Um, I, I think I wondered, wondered on our first episode if there was an equivalent to the the BBC Radiophonic Workshop or those or the studios of the of the old West Germany National Radio or indeed the facilities used by Zinakis in, in France. If there was a central equivalent in Iceland, and maybe there wasn't. I'm not sure if there was at the time, but uh lucky for us now there is uh there is a quite a prolific scene, um perhaps because there is a crossover between, you know, sound art visual art, uh, contemporary um, art, and also mm. uh, just plain plain electronic experimental music. And um, further on, we are going to talk about a couple of people who are actually also uh, teachers at some of these, these mm. uh, spaces. Now, we've not... There are two artists that we haven't played any music from at all thus far in these shows. Three, I guess, if you count the band. So the Sugar Cubes slash Björk and Sigur Ross. We've not played any songs from, from any of them. But the reason I mentioned Björk at this point is that she is famously, well, famously to me at least, she is a fan of and has talked about being influenced by Stockhausen. So there again is an internationally known artist, an experimental artist, but a pop artist in the sense that she sold millions of records, who can certainly in Iceland trace her influences, her creative process back to those 50s and 60s experimentalists. So what we think of as experimental and abstract and difficult isn't always, is it? No, I don't I don't think it is. I think um I think approaching experimental music can be a little easier if you if you um open up your mind to what music is and can be, but also to the experience of listening uh as opposed to the experience of passively accepting music into your ears from a radio. So experimental music is more about the notions of sound and listening and less perhaps about what uh, is considered conventional music, you know, with a beginning, middle and end and a standard structure or something like this. And this is also why I find it so exciting because it adds different uh, elements and different uh, aspects to this experience of, of that is music, whether it's creating it or, or thinking about it or analysing it or just enjoying it. Well, let us continue to expand those sonic horizons with Carolina Eriksdottir. Carolina Eriksdottir, also part uh, of the uh, aforementioned Iceland Music Information Centre, who did a portrait uh, album for her. Um, she studied uh, at the music school in Reykjavik, where aforementioned Thor Thorkettl Sigurbjörnsson was her composition teacher. She uh, graduated from uh, the University of Michigan, where her teachers there were George Wilson, who, who founded and directed that school's electronic music studio, and uh, William Albright, both of them uh, key figures in the American experimental scene. Um, she has a master's degree in music history and research and composition. So, you know, she's obviously knee deep in the subject. And uh, her compositions have been performed all around the world, including Paris, London, Glasgow, Tokyo, Vienna, the US, Germany, Spain, and Argentina. Um, and she also uh, has this, uh, and she also blends uh, perhaps 
traditional classical uh, music or, or, or uh, religious music mm. with a more contemporary uh, way of composing. Uh, her track is called In Viltu Solis.
Carolina Eriksdottir and in Viltu Solis. Now, I think we're going to hear two pieces from Kjartan Olofsson next. One of them is very short. Um, tell me about him. So he's one of my favorite recent discoveries, Mr. Kjartan Olofsson, Dr. Kjartan Olofsson, I should say, uh, who is a musicologist, composer, and academic. Um, he also graduated from the Reykjavik College of Music uh, with a degree in composition. He continued in Utrecht in Holland at the Institute of Sonology that we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And there he concentrated on electronic music. And he also later attended the Sibelius Academy in Finland, uh, where one of his composition teachers was a Nojuhai Roitavara, who is one of the very well-known uh, composers of Finland. And He's the one that does the music with the bird song, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes, exactly. I don't like bird song. It wakes me up. So I'm not a fan of his. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually featured one of his songs in, an, in a special show I did just about birds. Okay, okay. <laughs> so Kerthan Olafsson is actually the creator of composing software, which is something that we've seen in other artists over various decades, whether we're talking about uh, analog composing software like Daphne Oram with her Oramics or Xanakis with his UPIC system. So Kerthan Olafsson's software is called Kalmus. And uh, he's worked on the use of artificial intelligence in classical music composition. So he's he's definitely bridging uh, the gap between past, which are his influences, I guess, present, mm. which is where he lives now, and uh, future, which is AI. And the question of AI music composition is worrying everyone at the moment. But I have no worries. I'm sure people will continue to create fantastic music without it. But since 2005, uh, Kerdan has held the position of Professor of Composition and Theory at Iceland Academy of Arts. So they, they have their um, special section there, um, which perhaps might not have existed in the past. But we know that there's a special section for electronic music and experimental music. And we're going to listen to his Voices Variation from a 2001 album, um, which is electroacoustic music. Uh, and this is an excellent record for fans of Musique Concrète. But the second track that you mention, uh, which is the short one, so that is from an album of his called La Leaf, 1985-1987, which is chock full of synth post-punk bangers. And it's <laughs> half, half the, <laughs> they are bangers. And uh, you, if you listen to the full record, you, you'll probably recognize the, the self-titled track, La Leaf. Um, but it, it's an interesting record because even though he comes from this experimental uh, electronic background, mm. this record uh, is definitely parallel to the punk scene uh, okay. in the 80s. Um, and it's a mix between tip, more traditional structured uh, yeah, post-punk tracks and then these shorter tracks that definitely are him uh, highlighting his experimental interests. So we're going to listen to one of those small smaller tracks from that album, just because I think um, it, it just showcases how he manages to bridge the two. And I think he's a very, very interesting composer. Okay, so the first piece we're going to hear is Voices Variation. Mm -hmm. And then we'll follow that immediately with Pars Prototo and Andine Enrique. Absolutely. From Kjartan Olofsson.
Voices Variation and Pars Pro Toto and Andine and Vaker from Kjartan Olafsson. And if you heard our show last week on synth punk, you might be, given what Lydia said a few moments ago, compelled to seek out those synth punk bangers, which <laughs> apparently surround one of those pieces um, somewhat um, unexpectedly. Right, um, let's continue looking at just the, the tiniest fraction, I guess, of experimental music or music that could be described in such a fashion in Iceland. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yep. So next up, we have Richardur Friedrichsson. Um, as far as purely electroacoustic music goes, I did stumble upon Richardur and was very impressed with his work. Um, he was studying in The Hague, also attended the Institute of Sonology, uh, taking courses in algorithmic composition. Um, and algorithmic composition isn't, isn't only, doesn't only have to do with computers. Um, uh, algorithmic music has existed even before computers implemented it. So it's more a way of uh, thinking about composing. Mm. And uh, he has done this very well. Um, back in Iceland, the aforementioned Atli Heimir Sveinsson and Thorkettl Sigurbjörnsson were also uh, two of his teachers. So as we see, even here, the scene is connected. Um, he now lives in Reykjavik, composing and teaching composition and computer music at the uh, Iceland Academy of Arts, which is also where Kjartan Olofsson teaches. And he created uh, he creates electroacoustic music, working mostly with natural sounds and their movement in space. Uh, or he also does improv work, which is another type of uh, experimental composing, uh, where he plays electric guitar and processes it through live electronics. The track we're going to listen to is a collaborative work he did with Eglo Haldortotir, titled Hustle and Bustle Number no. 2, and it's from the opening event of Sequences Real-Time Art Festival from 2013. It was a, an audiovisual interactive uh, work in the Sculpture Garden in Reykjavik. Thank you. 
Hustle and Bustle 2 from Ricardo Friedrichsen and Eglo Harda.tm. We move now to the box tree from Skuli Sverison and Oscar Guthjonsson. What can you tell us about Skuli and Oscar and how they fit in to what we've been listening to? So uh, Oscar, people may remember, uh, he is the uh, saxophonist in Ade Haute, uh, ADHD, who we discussed on the jazz mm-hmm. episode. Um, and Skuli Sverison uh, is a bass guitarist and composer. He has worked with some pretty amazing names uh, from, from all around the world, from free jazz legends to music icons like Lou Reed and composers like the late Ruichi Sakamoto. And uh, he was also the artistic director of Olof Arnards, uh, music director of the legendary performance artist and composer Laurie Anderson. And he has also composed for dance, theater, cinema. He has appeared in over 100 recordings and performed all around the world. He has been awarded five Icelandic music awards, including Icelandic Album of the Year for his album Seria in 2006. Uh, but we're going to listen to something he uh, did in a, in collaboration uh, with Oscar Kudjonsson, uh, the track Box Tree from the album of the same name, with Skuli on acoustic bass guitar and Oscar on tenor sax.
The Box Tree, Scully Sverison and Oscar Guthjonsson. And again, I think what we've learned over this program thus far, Lydia, is that experimental doesn't just mean electronic and it doesn't just mean atonal, does it? And the experimentation that goes on ranges into much greater and, and, and more different areas than just that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Experimentation uh, occur, occurs in every genre and every nation and every decade, uh, or else there would be no progress in music, really. Um, and we see Iceland has, has done this very well. And we see that they've done it in electronic music. They've done it in jazz. Uh, in our, even in our black metal episode, there was some experimentation there uh, in, in punk, like you mentioned, also uh, the sugar cubes. So um, I think experimentation is a vital element of music progress. Uh, it, it's exciting. And uh, I think that's another reason why the Icelanders love doing it so much. <laughs> um so for our final guest on this show uh, today, we have Magnus Johan, who also worked uh, alongside Skuli Sverdsson, who we uh, mentioned earlier. Magnus is a composer, producer, and keyboardist. He explores many different styles with his music, uh, from introspective jazz to um, sort of timeless pop songs. Uh, he's also got dissonant string scores, uh, weird electronics. Uh, you know, he 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 obviously enjoys. Uh, experimenting with all these sounds. He also has hundreds of recordings from solo work to scores for film and theater to a lot of session playing and record producing. Uh, he has released three solo albums, an EP and two collaboration albums, one with the extraordinary singer Gudrun, who we've also mentioned on this show before, and uh, one with the aforementioned jazz bass legend Skuli Sverdsson. And uh, I really like Magnus's work because I think he does a great job of blending these various styles um, and so we're going to listen to something from his album Skisur, Without Listening, from 2001, where on this album he plays piano, synthesizer, electronics, clarinet and organ, and he also produced it. The song is called Hoflecht Iverleite, which means moderate conceit. Thank you. 
Magnus Johan doing, by the sounds of it, everything on that piece of music. The I prince most, of Icelandic experimentalism. <laughs> truly. Like you had said in another episode, Icelanders wear many hats and uh, Magnus seems quite comfortable with this role. Well, I've really enjoyed listening to these diverse pieces, these challenging pieces. Um, I think it's good to push the boundaries once in a while. And as we've said a number of times in this program, the experimental idea, if you will, genre is maybe a word that you can't really use to encompass so many different ideas. But experimental music is definitely something which is very well represented in this country, in Iceland. So thank you, Lydia, once again, for taking us through all of that. Lydia Athanasopoulou, music journalist, joining me in Siglafjörður today. We're back next week with um, another episode in which we look at and listen to the history of Icelandic music through a particular genre. This is Ruv English. I'm Darren Adam. Get in touch anytime. We are English at ruv.is. You're listening to the Ruv English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English.